welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. I, I, uh, I mentioned, uh, I think on our last show, that uh, sometime not long after the new year, we will uh, be ending our radio loop. You know, as you've heard me say countless times, um, uh, we have we offer the show two different ways. We have for the for the six years and over 800 episodes that we've had on air, uh, and and basically you have the option of just of course doing your standard podcast feed when you go to our homepage, uh, picking us up that way, or hitting what is called the radio loop as we call it, which is a uh, a a version of the current show running in a separate computer here in the studio, literally, and it's being broadcast literally, perpetually, in a constant loop, 24-7, and you simply pick it up at whatever point in the show it happens to be when you access the loop. It's the, you know, our usual way of... Uh, of talking about it is that yeah, a lot of people like that old analog feel about listening to a talk show. Uh, but we're noticing that fewer and fewer people are. In fact, I would say in the last six months, uh, we, we hit kind of a high point on the radio loop, and then it's just dropped and dropped and dropped. Um, to a, to a relative to a rather low number. Uh, and so we've made the decision here that we're simply going to stop feeding it and just emphasizing, hey, pick us up as you would any other podcast. Uh, but that'll be at some point after the new year. So uh, for those of you who are uh, mildly addicted to your center-left radio uh, via uh, the radio loop, uh, fret not just yet, but prepare to... to to go through a little bit of a life change uh, as uh, the weeks move along over here. Whatever. Um, there was an interesting bit of news that came out yesterday morning, yesterday being Monday, today being Tuesday the 7th of November, today being election day, by the way. Um, it, it's, it's for a lot of local... Uh, it, this is... It's it's an off-year election. It's not the midterms. It's not the presidential, certainly, next year. We are a full year from the presidential election and all the down-ballot elections that come with it, of course. But today is just down-ballot and a lot of extremely local-type elections, city councils, things like that. You're not getting... Um, you don't get you don't get normally it's not a congressional thing state governments get their day to day largely uh, all the way down to very very t local type elections but they tend to be bellwethers or they can be a bellwether for what will happen in the general election uh, in the, in the following year it, it 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 just you just don't know and, and, and one of the problems that we have here in America right now, and, and, you've, and you've heard me talk about this any number of times, is that we basically are in a four-year presidential campaign cycle. You, you, you're not, it's almost as though the president, uh, I don't know, can't govern, is, isn't expected to, it should, is expected to be campaigning and, and scoring points against potential rivals as much or perhaps more than the individual in the Oval Office is expected to, uh, uh, to, to accomplish whatever they're supposed to accomplish. It's an equal thing. We, we, we have gotten to the point where we're running for president just about equates to, or in some ways outweighs the significance of being and governing 
and being the chief executive as the president of the United States. And it sounds ridiculous, but it's just, I, I think it's within the nature, it's, it's a predictable state of affairs given the significance of social media, given the, the, um, the, the prejudices that can so easily be uh, played with and played upon, uh, and, 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 and basically what will catch, people want a battle. You want, you want us versus them. Social media has become the battleground. Not just, it's not the information. It's, yes, it's allegedly an information source, but it's primarily the battleground. It's where you go to find the things that you're angry and upset about. It, it fits within, it flows, I mean, maybe it flows from, maybe it's a direct result of how Donald has basically co-opted the Republican Party, but so much of what you find in social media and online are the reasons why you're supposed to hate or detest or be afraid of or, or want to destroy or what you need to take aim at about that which is not within your tribe, your group, your, your insulated uh, bubble of, 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 of political or any other organizational thing, any other way that you perceive yourself as differentiated from uh, the rest of the world or a particular group. You, it, it works especially well when it's an us-them, one-on-one sort of a thing. In a, multi, in a multiverse of, of different opinions, it, it's a way to sort of get a point out there. But in politics, in American politics, and especially where you have a two-political party system, oh, Boy, it's just it's just a way to just be angry and 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 again from a Trumpian perspective, what you're supposed to hate, what you should be afraid of, who who or what is going to take it all away from you with very little in the way of substance and God knows of probable fact. But but that's what's out there. And this this feeds into this need. To, or, or not the need, the, the, the result being that um, we won't allow our politicians to stop running for office. We won't allow them to stop competing against one another. And so the notion of, of, of doing what it is we're supposed to ultimately do, certainly in, at, at state and federal levels, that is, to function as, as, as Teddy Roosevelt told us, or demonstrated to us, in, in a spirit of progressive-ism. Not progressive in the, in, the, in, the, in the current verbal sense of far left, but in progressive-ism, which basically in the turn of the 20th century meant, and still means, that you are able to as a group of people with differing points of view, but a responsibility to govern for all people, you are able collectively to recognize what the issues are before you, agree basically on a set of facts. In other words, are, are we talking about the same thing here, folks? Are we, are, we, are we arguing for the same situation? Are, do, do we understand what we're fighting over? And, and, and recognizing what it is that, you're, that, you're, that, that would be contentious for you. Then establishing a forum in which people can hash it out and go at it. Go at just just whatever you got to do. Yell, jump up and down. However, and and within within some rules of debate, but basically have at it, and in the end recognize that there's going to be a vote, and the vote basically will come down to, and this is this is or you know once you this is among elected officials, mind you. I'm I'm not talking about electing officials. 
but but hashing out problems. But the vote will basically be, okay, here is how we decide this agreed-upon issue. No one will get everything. It's, it's, it's a rare situation where one side gets everything, unless maybe, well, I'll take it all this time, you'll get it all the next time. That's part of the agreement we work out. Okay, that's another story. But it's understood that within a liberal democracy, within a Jeffersonian, Madisonian democracy as we are, no one side, whether you're the majority or the minority or whatever, no one gets it all. It's not a zero-sum game. Democracy is not a zero-sum game. It is about compromise. It is about finding ways to do things. It is a replication of what we can do best in society. We can recognize one another's thoughts, feelings, and find ways for everybody to live together. If we can't do that, then we retreat to earlier forms, which basically had dictatorship, kings, uh, you know, oligarchs. We have plenty of that around now. And, and they basically say, well, we really either... On the, on, you know, based on, well, we can't trust how people function, the king would say that, or I have a divine right. People can't possibly govern themselves. Well, for 240-something years in America at this point, we have essentially governed ourselves because we've recognized that nothing is all black and white. There are shades of gray all over. People have differing opinions, and we may not share them, but we have to ultimately respect and deal with the fact that people of good faith can have different points of view. That's really what a democracy, a functional democracy, comes down to. Now, in that context, in that context, a poll came out yesterday morning. It was a New York Times Marist poll, as I recall. And it showed, now remember, every poll, every poll is a snapshot of a moment. And, and normally polls are taken. These are telephone polls for the most part. Uh, sometimes they're done via the internet, some, uh, all, all sorts of different methods. But as a rule, telephone polling uh, to, uh, and I imagine there, there's some scientific way in which pollsters are able to determine that the people they're calling and the opinions they're getting will ultimately give them a broad brush sense of whatever it is they're trying to evaluate. But the, this particular poll that was released yesterday morning had to do with um, Trump versus uh, Biden, very simply. And in five of six battleground states, the, the outlier being, what was the one that was, uh, there was which was the... the Five, five of six, I didn't, I should have written down, well, in any event, five of six battleground states, including Nevada and, and, and Arizona and, and several others, Trump overall, just on a head-to-head, -head, who, who do you want for president, basically was leading Biden by as much as 10 or 12 points. What? What say the dem? What? 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 Say you know? Says everybody in that situation. How? How could that be? Well, he was, and 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 when you go further, apparently the polling went further and said, well, you know, it, it was sort of like, well, why? Why would you say that? Why would you want him? And they started asking questions about uh, who would be better, who, who is better qualified to deal with the economy, war, taxes, Israel, Hamas, uh, all, of the, all, all of these things, all of the different life things that people experience. And Trump, again, 
coming out ahead and, and, and with particularly strong numbers, believe it or not, on economy and military. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> he hates the military. He, 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 what? <laughs> economy? What? <laughs> the, 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 the who? The, the, the give, give money back to the rich and take it. What? What are we talking about here? But this is what is out there right now, a snapshot that was released yesterday. Now, keep in mind, we are one year out from the election. And, and by the way, you know, as a Democrat, you know, you're, you're, you, there's, there's a lump in your throat. You feel your heart up in your throat. You try to swallow it down, and you're swallowing a lot of other things at the same time. And it's a, it's a very disconcerting feeling. And you rapidly remind yourself it's a snapshot, and it's one year out. And then there's, there, there, there are some other issues worth noting here. And that is in every single presidential, oh no, no, in every single election cycle, major and minor on years, off years, since Trump's unexpected win in 2016, every single year, every cycle since then, the Republicans have lost. Okay, And in every one of those cycles, at somewhere around a year out, they were shown to be major winners and should take it hugely. And it's gone the other way every single time. Should, should that be the end of it for Democrats? No, of course not. But it, it, it also is a reminder of what one year from a presidential election means in terms of one year later on the election day. Not a whole hell of a lot. Things can change. But the fact that Donald, who is in such deep doo-doo, who is in the middle of having his financial, whatever, whatever little wealth he had, well, little compared to what he says he had, he, he's worth a few hundred million possibly, possibly, maybe a couple of hundred million, might be, when you water it down, but having that basically undone, if the $250 million fine being sought by Letitia James is ultimately agreed to by the judge hearing his case uh, without a jury. And again, the reason, the reason the civil fraud case, the New York State tax civil fraud case, is being heard without a jury is that the defense, Trump, his, his lawyers, did not ask for a jury. You, you must in New York ask for a jury. Some people to this day say, could it have been an oversight? Wouldn't, wouldn't Donald have had a better shot at, at, you know, bullshitting his way through and lying about what he did or didn't do? Couldn't he have impressed a jury with it more? Well, apparently his, his lawyers felt it would go the other way, that there was a better shot with a New York judge, knowing that in their minds, and they and God knows Donald said it often enough, and and you know as he lambasts and and absolutely vilifies uh, Letitia James and all the different prosecutors, and, and you know and and breaks his uh, and breaks the rules concerning uh, you know his his uh, every, every he is he is it's so much in violation. He is in so he. His level of contempt on a, on a personal level and his technical contempt of the orders of the court insofar as communications about uh, the, the, the case and the people around it and who you're allowed to insult. And, he is so contemptible and contemptuous of the entire legal system that, it, that, it, that it's, it's almost ludicrous at this stage in the game. But there he is. 
And in this capacity of a guy who still has 91 criminal counts to deal with and is looking at the probable dissolution of his physical wealth and, and, and having that all happen probably before Christmas, in other words, there, there, there most likely will be an adjudication that he, and it's, you know, it, it's basically right now it's down to the fine. He's been found fraudulent. The, the Trump organization, Donald Trump, for purposes of their financial statements and everything, have been found fraudulent. The question now, what's being litigated now, the other counts being litigated now, are basically having to do with his intent and knowledge and how much that will play into the determination of what the penalty should be for what he's been doing for years and years and years and the defrauding of banks, the defrauding of, frankly, the state of New York, not getting the tax money that it should have gotten and the penalty for doing that when it is a fraudulent effort. That's what they're hearing right now. No, There's no question that they're, well, if this were a criminal case, that he's guilty of sin. But it is simply a finding of civil fraud from a tax perspective right now in New York State. And, and the likelihood is that it'll be damn near $250 million, which means there'll be a receiver appointed for most of the properties that, that the Trump Organization has. Many of them are based on New York uh, corporations that have been set up, LLCs or what have you, that are out of New York. The state of New York, like any state in the United States, owns or possesses the right to control the businesses that seek to operate within it. When you get a license, when you get, an, uh, when you get a corporation, when you get a legal structure that permits you to operate as other than a person with the vulnerabilities of a person, when you get the protections and the benefits of, a, of an organizational structure, be it an LLC, be it a PC, be it, be it, be it a corporation, be it whatever, a sub, whatever, whatever it may be, that is a privilege offered by the state, and the state can withdraw that privilege at will, if, well, it can do it subject to your doing things that you're not supposed to do. You basically can be uh, slammed for violating the, the rules and terms. Well, when you're fraudulent about your financial statements, when you lie to the tax authorities, when you inflate the value of your properties for purposes of getting good interest rates on loans, and when you deflate the value of the same properties for purposes of paying taxes, that is fraud. You can't do that. You can't, you can't simply, and, and, and then of course the, the, the Trumpy thing, well, you know, we always paid anyway. We paid, and, and the banks never, and, and the banks could figure it out for them. No, that's, none of that's true. None of that's true. Legally, there is a dependency upon the statements made by, by the taxpayer, the signer of the documents, and you can't simply say, well, the, the, I, the, the banks sort of knew that, they, that the properties really were misvalued, and they did their own survey. No! No, 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 no. You're responsible for what you've signed to. Well, I didn't know. Only our accountants knew these things. And anyone who knows anything about Donald Trump and anyone who knows about anything about uh, uh, Alan Weisselberg and all that and all those situations, Weisselberg did six months for uh, uh, for a tax fraud situation recently. He, um, you know. They all know that Donald knows everything that's going on, everything that's going on within his organization. And, and the notion that, that only his accountants actually knew. Well, his accountants, once they became aware of the level of fraud, quit the, the Trump organization because they were being fed information by none other than Donald and his sons to the effect that, well, you know, these are lies. And the accountants, the external accountants who are doing audits of the organization, organizational audits, and those audits are becoming the basis for banks 
basically uh, verifying the loan status or, or what's going on, when it realized that they were being fed information that was lies, there's just so far a, an audit organization, you know, a, a tax audit organization can go in, 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 in verifying information. There's a point at which there's a reliance on the client. I've seen this in other large organizations. Trust me, if the client is going to lie and, and lie convincingly, well, at some point, the tax organization, for as much of a, an internal audit as they're going to do, it, but if the books are cooked and, and that's all they've got, in the end, they have to turn around and say, whoa, hang on a second. As well as we did and as good as we did and as much of a good faith effort as we put into this thing and as much due diligence as we put into reviewing the, the books and records of this organization, we, they still managed to slip information past us or, or feed us information that was absolutely inaccurate, and we signed our name to that, we are out of it, and we hereby give notice to everybody who might have ever relied on it or in the future may rely on it that the information that we were given by the Trump organization and Donald Trump was absolutely un was not worthy of verification by our organization using our ability as a as a as a tax auditor to basically say that this is true anyone can rely on this no no one can rely on it we quit that's what happened so what you're seeing here is all of this playing out. Uh, Donald was on the stand yesterday. Uh, the legal analysis of it, from what I could see, and again, they don't have they don't have cameras in the courtroom. It's not permitted. Shame there should be, so people can really get a taste of what Donald is like. Uh, but apparently, uh, waffling, bullshitting, uh, being asked a question about valuation, and spending the next five minutes talking about he has the greatest organization and the most valuable properties in the world and no one is more important than him and on and on, th that kind of crap. But he managed to still sink himself and, and basically give the prosecution, give, give the state the information they needed. He managed to say things and verify that he had knowledge of what was on those documents. He left no doubt, and I'm not going to get into what he said. I'd have to, I, I just don't have, honestly, I don't have the stomach for it right now. But Donald left no doubt that he knew what was on those, which is to say the additional counts of this lawsuit against him that were needed to be proved by the state in order to get the full fine or to at least be qualified to request the judge, and it'll ultimately be in the judge's discretion, to grant the $250 million fine that the, the state is going for. What Donald had to allow the state to prove or, or not disprove, he managed to do the job. He opened his big damn mouth. He managed to basically say what he needed to say. His ego got in the way, of, as always, and he basically gave himself a harder time. Now, the theory of his defense seems to have been, and they were starting it yesterday with cross-examination, and the, and the defense will put on its full case, I believe, starting next week. I think the prosecution has finished at this point. The defense will be saying, and what it's been doing up to this point, and a lot of analysts have agreed to this, is trying to get, since they have no legal basis to defend what he's done, Ser no serious legal basis. It's to try to get Donald to fight with the judge or with the prosecutors, with the state, in order to basically set up any, something that could go up on appeal and that could invalidate the nature of the first level case here, you know, in, in court in New York. And that, well, there was prejudice, you see? You see, the, the, the judge and, and was, was prejudiced. You can't say the other side is, of course the other side is prejudiced, but the judge was prejudiced. 
and the judge obviously and clearly showed that he had no respect for the defendant and that the judge therefore should be blah 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 and this case should be thrown out and slow it down slow it down slow it down slow it down and you know that the judge is being extremely careful not to let that happen and 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 once the once the determination is made as to how much the fine will be. That's what this is all coming down to. How much the fine will be and how the receivership of the Trump assets that are under New York corporate LLC or other, or other structural licenses, how they will be dealt with, that's all that we're waiting to find out right now. The defense in the Trump thing is to try to, it basic, it's, it's, a, it's a nutty defense, but there's no legal defense, there's no factual defense, so what you try to do is get Donald, who was a loose cannon, who's an idiot, who's a nut, who basically has nothing but grievance and anger, and who can never ever admit to doing anything that he might have to take responsibility. He cannot take responsibility for anything. It's the world versus him, and his right, therefore, is to go against the world and do whatever he has to do to satisfy his personal two-year-old needs. Th that's Donald, in a nutshell. Listen to Mary, listen to Mary Trump, his, his niece, that she'll, she'll tell you everything about it. Go and, and sign on to her Twitter account. It's really damn good. Um, this, this is the guy who they're counting on, his defense is counting on him, riling up the judge enough to get a mistrial out of this. Or basically, well, since there's no, there's no jury, to basically on appeal have an appellate court say, well, based on the record, we see what happened over here. Yes, the judge was obviously prejudiced. Uh, we're throwing out the verdict. Uh, that's it. And maybe the state can bring it again. And by the time the state brings it again, uh, it'll be way down the road. And Donald will still continue to be a super rich guy, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and it, he'll be able to once again say, you see that? and they can't lay a glove on me, that will, that's a major part of his persona for his sycophants, for, his, for, his, uh, for the people who worship and adore him, for the base, for the Magaites. It's, they can't get him. Donald gets them every time. I, I, I just don't see that happening, and I pray that it doesn't, but I just don't see how that could happen in this situation here. Everybody's aware that that's the way Donald's going to play it, or is playing it right now. But it raises a bigger question. How can the fact that the guy has 91 criminal counts against him and all of this civil liability, and he's about to lose everything he has, how, how does he... And, 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 and he's, how does he not only poll head-to-head -head against Biden... But being out of office and doing nothing but bullshitting and getting in trouble and getting indicted, he is polling better than Biden in all of these more finite areas of, of presidential activity. The economy, uh, defense, areas that he's absolutely horrific in and at. How, how, does, how does that square? It, it doesn't. It, 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 you, can, you, can, you can do mea culpas up and down, uh, you know, forever and say, oh, what have we done wrong? What's wrong? Uh, well, yes, there, there is most definitely something wrong with the way the Biden administration has been presenting what they consider their strong suit here. And this is something that they've been calling Bidenomics. Well, I, I don't, you know, Bidenomics, what does that mean? It, mean, it means um, um, the, the economy is doing great, and we put together this bipartisan package of the, the, build, the build Back Better America package, and everything is da ba da ba da And no one gets it. I don't get it. If, if someone asked me right now, explain Bidenomics, what I just gave you is as close as I can get to it. I mean, it's, it's an obvious take on Reaganomics, if you'll recall, uh, from, from back in the 80s. And Reaganomics uh, was still happening in the middle of a huge inflationary cycle. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and in the end, uh, Ronald Reagan <laughs> raised taxes. 
But Biden is not getting that same pump when out of the fact that even with an inflationary cycle going right now, not as high as the one that was going with Reagan at the time, he, there, there still is this sense, uh, no matter how good you say the economy is doing compared to the rest of the world, how strong we are, how, how big our, 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 our armed forces are, how powerful, how much better, uh, people don't really get the economic wonder world that we're supposed to be living in in the moment. And, and that's because the simple things that people have to deal with are being priced through the ceiling. Supermarket prices are ridiculous, nuts, crazy. Gasoline is a multiple of what it should be at the pump, and, and, the, and the oil companies have been allowed to leave it up there so far that people have actually now factored in as it, it's, it's normal to pay $3.50 plus for a gallon of gas anywhere forever. The, getting your kid into a school, into colleges, is, is ludicrous cost-wise. Now, there had been exceptions and. <laughs> the state of New York, for example, has, has, has capped costs for in-state and all that other stuff, but other colleges, it's ridiculous. The, the things that people need to live with are crazy right now, economically, and, and, and the really big one, I think, are, is the price of food. You got to eat every day. You don't have to drive and your kid may not go to the best college, but damn it, you got to eat every single day. And you go to that supermarket and you are reminded that the prices are nuts. And to someone who was not doing what I'm doing or was not focused day in, day out on, on presidential politics and the reasons that things are the way they are, that's what you know. You know what it costs. And, well, who's, uh, wh whose fault is this? Well, you know, it was, uh, uh, there was COVID, okay? And COVID in the supply chain. But wait a minute. Why, why am I paying this much? Who's screwing up? And if I'm not paying a lot of attention to anything, and if I'm getting bombarded with bullshit from the Republican side about how Donald has been wronged and he won the election, and I'm hearing that just as much as I'm hearing anything that's coming from the Biden side. But I go to the supermarket, and the prices are high. That's going to be the front-of-mind issue that's, at least for the moment, one year out from the election, is going to drive my opinion. And if I... If I go with that, I can easily, without really knowing a hell of a lot about what Biden, what, what Trump is or isn't to the military, the, forget the fact that he wants General Milley executed, and forget the fact that, you know, his awful, awful relationship with the U.S. military, his awful relationship with the intelligence services of this country, his just, his horrendous disrespect for everything, for every aspect of American society, his disdain for the Constitution. Forget all that. Forget that to, to say that he is doing better than or would be better than Biden in these things defies not only, not only logic but facts. But, but, but forget that. It's an extrapolation, I think, from an emotional feeling of why the hell haven't they gotten this under control. We're talking about food prices, largely. And the fact that they're not, the American people are not being spoken to really about this. They don't understand why this is. And how can those prices be up there? And how can you simultaneously tell me that, that we are in the best economy in the world and our blah, blah, blah. Don't tell me that. That's BS. And understandably, to a large extent, I would... I hate to say so, I would probably have to agree with that. If you're not experiencing, 
If your if your pocketbook, if your wallet, if the kitchen table discussions about money are basically about how the hell are we we're, the food we got it we're gonna make a we're gonna live on McDonald's what the hell is this hell even a box of pasta I mean I, I was looking in the supermarket yesterday a, a box of Barilla pasta which I've seen on sale you know for seventy fives two dollars and nine cents for a box of a one pound box of pasta. That's infuriating. That's nuts. And it's got to go somewhere. And, and, and the emotions, basically, I'm saying, are what you're seeing at this point. One year out, knowing nothing else, assuming that all the people in that, in that New York Times Marist poll are not perpetual, uh, uh, you know, uh, junk, uh, they're not, they're not uh, you know, they're not, political junkies day in and day out. They're not doing what I'm doing, what others are doing in terms of reviewing and, and commenting on all this and, and putting out information that they're just living lives in America and picking up what gets to them via the sources that are designed to sneak into their subconscious and barely conscious minds and leave opinions based on that and based on their life experiences. They're pissed, and they got to go after someone. Now, are they going to look at Donald and say, well, you know, he's got 91 criminal counts and he's blah, 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 blah. But the reality is they haven't touched the guy yet. It's still all talk. Who's in the White House? must be Biden's fault. Now, that should suggest something to you. It certainly does to me. And it suggests this to most seasoned pollsters. I'm not a seasoned pollster, but I'm, I'm basically repeating what I've heard others say. As Donald begins to get hit hard, as he is convicted, as he loses his financial empire, as he begins to pay the price, as the shield, the image of invulnerability that has surrounded him is pierced, destroyed, ripped apart, shredded, crumbles around him, as he takes the hits, public opinion will shift. You will not, you can, you can jump up and down and say, and they will, just like, just like he has, this, I've been falsely accused. It's been a witch hunt. I have been, my, my, I've had my, my freedom taken away. I've been convicted. I am, I'm felon. I've, I've had, very possibly, I've been prohibited from being on the ballot in these different states because I'm in violation of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. It's a witch hunt. This is bullshit. I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not. But suddenly, the penalties that go with this fall into place and he is either incarcerated or he is ankle braceleted and restricted or we watch his properties being sold we watch his first of all watch his properties being uh, taken over by a receiver and based on how large the fine is that he pays the state, and the state gets paid immediately, right away. That money must be brought up with whatever the, whatever the defendant, whatever the losing side has, so that his properties will be managed for a while, but for the sole purpose of selling them off so they can get the highest price, so the state could actually collect the penalty that it is entitled to based on the judge's ruling. They'll, it can go up and down the ladder while they're waiting, but meanwhile, the receivership process will take place. That's how I understand it would be. Now, if, if Donald can get away without the receivership process taking place and basically challenge even that part of it, well, I'd be very surprised, not in New York. They will have a receivership, and he will basically have to then fight the financial uh, aspect of this entire thing. But the state up front has a right to go ahead and do that. And it'll happen relatively quickly, any challenges that might take place on this. As his vulnerability, as his, his being subject 
to the laws and rules of the country. As the results of that, as, as how that plays out, plays out, Donald's capacity to remain essentially untouchable in the minds of his sycophants, in the minds of the MAGAites, that will begin to crumble. That will begin to go away very quickly. Biggest fear Donald has, of course, is, is being proven to be a financial, fiscal fraud. And when the audit is done that shows what he's actually worth and what will have to be sold off in order to pay the fines, it's going to really rip him a thousand new orifices and really destroy his image with a lot of people. Up to now, his image includes, can't lay a glove on me. That will not be the case within the next two to three months. Where does that put us for the 2024 presidential election? At best, at best for the country, Donald becoming an irrelevancy, an increasing irrelevancy. The likelihood, it will be an evolving process. It's not going to change over. Now, and again, if you took the same poll that the Times and, and Marist College did uh, however long ago to get what was released yesterday, if you did it today, you might get an entirely different perspective. One day on the stand, Donald jumping up and down, hearing certain commentators give certain People may just have reached the point of changing their mind about this. And this is going to happen. No, they won't. The base will never, ever, ever. Maybe the base won't, or the most of the base won't change. But the swing voters, the independents, the people that really make the difference, the difference in who's ahead by three, four, five, ten points, those people, will, the information will find its way to them. It more likely will be a little-by-little little situation. And there will be a point, I am convinced, where as Donald begins to take, the, as he finally finally begins to pay the price that anyone else would pay. When the, when, the, when the shield of invincibility has been shattered around him, no matter how he yells and screams, he still is going to have to go ahead and do what he is demanded to do. When all of that becomes apparent to the swing voters, the independent voters, that's when you will begin to see the major changes here. And today is going to be curious also as a bellwether in some sense because what a lot of states and a lot of state elections and a lot of local elections are running on is the abortion issue. You don't hear that every day. But from what I'm hearing and reading, it is an undercurrent issue that is very strong this cycle around. And you're going to see it played out. It's going to be curious. By the time we do our next show this Friday, it should be a very interesting uh, summation about where, uh, and, and, and again, if, uh, assuming that the that exit polls will reveal this sufficiently, we should be finding out where those key, those key indicators uh, leave a lot of people, leave a lot of elected officials, what effect they will have on, on, um, on people's uh, uh, actual vote. I, I have a feeling that the abortion issue and the notion that the Republicans essentially want to uh, uh, end all abortion rights in this country, and let's not forget gun rights, Let's not forget that the Republicans are against anything, anything, any rational decision, anything to block guns and to promote gun safety that as a rule, no, we can't touch that. Uh, that the Second Amendment is, which was so, so diabolically misinterpreted in the Heller decision a few years back, is still used as a basis for giving everybody everything to do with guns. Uh, 
because, well, the Republicans are beholden to the gun lobby and the gun, you know, both the NRA and the, well, less the NRA these days, and more the gun manufacturers. There's too many billions of dollars at stake there. Let's, let's see where this plays out. Things will change. Take, take hope in that. There is going, we, we are, Monday's poll, poll on the 6th of November in 2023 will be almost meaningless a month from now, much less six months from now, much less on November 7th, 2024. Things will change. The world will intervene. Much will happen with Donald. I cannot predict how it will be. I can, I can say what my hopes are. I can say that I trust that people realizing that to give Donald the White House would be to give away America, literally, to say the Constitution is over. We don't want America anymore. John Meacham yesterday said there is, there is a fundamental distrust or a fundamental disappointment, I think was the word he used, in the system. And a lot of people are reflecting that. He said that about how this, this poll was reflecting it. But yes, well, is, is that, dis, and, and, and Meacham I respect tremendously, but is that distrust enough to basically vote it out of existence? People must be made to understand that that's what they will be doing if they bring Donald back in. Voting America out of existence. America as we know it. The constitutional order. The, 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 the entities, the, the norms that we have. That you have to get, you know, not, not what you're being told on the internet. It's tough, yeah, you got to get past all that. But there's going to have to be some very hard examples given to them. I have no doubt Donald will remind everybody of what can go wrong if he were back in power again. He will, he'll remind us again and again. He will show us that he is absolutely vulnerable to the legal system, that he is a criminal. We, he, will, he will remind us that in order, once he's been convicted, that he will remind us that the only way he can even walk into, he, the only way he could stand for the oath of office would be if somehow he could pardon himself before he took the oath. And that's impossible. We're going to have to confront that little constitutional technicality. He most probably will be off the ballot because he is in total violation of the third section of the 14th Amendment. You know, all I can say is this is why they play the games. And the Biden camp is going to have to do a hell of a lot better selling what Biden represents to the country fundamentally and what good he has done and basically explain what he can't control, like inflation, like these cycles come and go. There's a lot that needs to be done in the next political year. That's, that's, that's many dogs' lifetimes, okay? So take hope. All of you who felt absolutely crushed by those polling numbers yesterday, don't, don't feel crushed. There's a lot of reality coming at all of us, coming, coming to, a, to, a, to a city near you, coming to a theater near you, reality. And catch the show. Keep an ear and an eye out for it. And by God, an open mind. Listen, learn. And watch and appreciate the fact that we could lose this democracy if we were dumb enough to give it away to a jerk like Donald. But I think, I hope, well, this is, this is, the, you know, this is the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. I hope that we're smart enough not to do that. I believe I believe we're smart enough to, like mom said, don't give it away. <laughs> I think this is a perfect moment. <laughs> oh, so many bad jokes, but so much good music. I think this is a great time for a little jazz. 
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Center Left Radio has been here for more than seven consecutive years and more than 800 individual episodes. 800. Think of that. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can. On a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make Center Left Radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we enter this final consequences stage of the Trump saga. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know. We all know. We can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Center Left Radio, thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. Back in, back in uh, a, a couple of decades or three back, a guy named Douglas Adams wrote a book called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and one of the phrases he used again and again was, don't panic. I would advise anyone... Panicking as a result of the poll numbers that came out on Monday concerning Biden and Trump. Don't panic. Donald will face a lot of reality between now and the presidential election.